is hopeless and helpless in sin. And without an outside intervention, that's where man's going to stay. Man's going to stay in sin. He's going to remain blind. He's going to perish without hope and fall into the hands of a wrathful and a vengeful God. Yet, that's not the end. The Lord's mercy and His grace and His compassion was extended towards man in Jesus Christ. The Lord, Jesus, fulfilled the law, obtaining perfect righteousness, and He died even the death of the cross, making sufficient payment for our sins, such that those in Christ could be righteous by the Lord imputing His righteousness upon us. And we could be without sin by the Lord imputing our sin upon Him. All of this was obtained in Jesus. And as such, those that are in Christ, they have eternal, unchangeable, unlosable justification in Jesus Christ. Not one thing has to be added to that. There's not any maintenance that has to be done to that. You know, everything you buy in this world, there's going to be maintenance that's got to be done. Don't care what it is. It's going to have to be maintained. You're going to have to take care of it or it's going to, it's going to fall away and fade away. The Lord's salvation does not need my maintaining it. The Lord maintains it by His work. My justification is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when somebody's trying to add to that and say, well, if you're really going to be right with God, then you need to do this. Well, if you were lost and you did that, would that help you? Well, now then, if you're in Jesus Christ and you're made perfect by His righteousness, does adding anything help you either? I've, Greg said it several times, but you can't improve perfection. And you can't improve the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ has got. There's nothing needs to be added. It's eternal and secure. And so the question arises as it does here. Well, now if you say that salvation is in Christ alone, there's no works that need to be done to obtain it or to maintain it. And it's by faith and faith alone. And it's eternal and you can't lose it. Then you're saying people can be saved and live however they want. And that's where we've come to in chapter 6. And he's answering that. We can't continue in sin because salvation's more than just justification and redemption of the sinner. But it's a resurrection of the inward man and a new creature made by the power of God. Man can't continue in sin. Man can't continue to live in ungodliness because God makes a change and a new creature out of them by the indwelling of His Spirit. God works a work in the heart of man that changes him from the bottom to the top. And so, the old lifestyle cannot continue. In our world, church world today, a lot of places they consider salvation as being justification, me made right with God only. But it's 
this is included in salvation as well. If I've died with Him, if I'm buried with Him, if I'm laid down with Him, He got up, I'm getting up too. I'm not going to lay there. And we're not talking about the end of the world either. But if a sinner comes to the altar and dies with Jesus Christ spiritually, he'll get up and have a new life in Christ Jesus by the power of his new life. So that change of life, that work of God in the inward man, and we've referred to the Scripture in Mark 2 a few times. The Lord comes to that man that's born of four, and he says, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the Jews round about said, Well, only God can forgive sins. Who does this man think that he is? And the Lord Jesus said, What's easier? To say your sins be forgiven or rise up and walk? Man couldn't forgive sins, but man couldn't make this man walk either. And the Lord says, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And that was done. The Lord done it that way. The Word of God says that we might know He had power on earth to forgive sins. True. Now that work of redemption, justification, you can't see that. That's done inwardly. And it's easy for me to get up and say my sins have been forgiven. That's easy. It could be a lie. <coughs> But you know, the walk afterward is evidence of the work that's done in the heart or the walk afterward is evidence of the work that's not been done in the heart. And it's not, it's not being a good boy or a good girl. The walk is the indwelling Holy Ghost of God. So we got down, I believe, last time to about verse 17. Let's back up to 16. We'll read that. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now in them that are saved, you've got the battle and warfare that's ongoing day by day. There's a warfare in everyone that's born again because you've got, we looked at several scriptures, we won't do that again. You've got the old man, the man that was before, we were saved. The man of flesh, the seed of Adam. You've got him whose nature is corrupt and sinful and rebellious always towards God. But you've got the new man inwardly. The man that the Lord Jesus Christ has born in our heart. The man that in First John, John says them that are saved, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that one more time. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now you're going to have some trouble depending on how you interpret that verse. Do you sin? Well, then you're not born of God. See, that ain't, that ain't what that verse means. There's two men... There is an inward man that is born of God. The inward man is and remains sinless. There is an outward man that is rebellious and sinful. The seed of Adam. You've got the seed of Adam outwardly and the seed of the second man, Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, inwardly. And yes, we sin in the flesh. 
But the inward man, he's still perfect. He cannot sin because he is of God. He don't need to be washed again. Peter, I don't need to wash your hands and your head again. Save your feet. Save where you walk in the filth and the mire of the world that's around you. You don't need to be saved again. You just need to wash your feet. It's the flesh. The man that's exposed to the sin of this world. The man that's corrupt and rebellious. But inwardly of the child of God, there's a man that's perfect. And these two are at odds with one another always. And so he says, and we said in verse 12 of this chapter, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. The mortal man, the man that word means is liable to die. The mortal man is where the warfare is at. He's what the struggle is. And you see when the church gets rid of the mortal man, the problem's going to be gone. What's going to be left is an inward man that's already born by God, already a son of God, already made perfect, and is already sinless. Getting rid of the sinful man, the problem's gone. But while we're in the mortal man, we got a warfare. And that word let, it means to exercise kingly authority. He's made us to be kings and priests. Oh, He's going to make us kings one day. He's going to clear the earth out and He's going to let us rule over some property. He's going to let us rule over some people. Well, here, He's not talking about ruling over people or ruling over property, but ruling over this patch of earth Exercise kingly authority and don't allow yourself to be a servant of sin. Now, are we going to complete that? We never will. But that is not an excuse for those that are saved to not war and fight against the flesh. I believe in those that are saved. When they fail, there is a disappointment in the inward man. And so... He says, whoever you yield yourself to, that's who you're serving. So that's plain English, plain and simple. You yield your members. Now the body has members, eyes, mouth, hands. Whatever you yield this man to, whoever you're obeying with in action, that's who you're serving. See, the world today that says, well, you don't know my heart, That sounds good to the flesh. That sounds satisfying. That almost gets me off the hook. Well, in my heart, I believe. But you see, the the outward man is continually yielding to serve sin and to serve evil. Well, you you can guarantee it. You can write it down. Those that are continually yielded to the devil... They are the devil's servants. Those that are continually yielded to sin, they are serving sin. So know this, as people that are born again, those that are, that when I yield myself to the desire and the pleasure of the flesh, as I think or as I desire, and I go contrary to what God says, that I am yielding myself to sin 
and to the devil instead of God. But God be thanked, verse 17, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. So there's been a change in them that are saved. And notice who's being thanked. It's not, Vaughn, I'm thankful you obeyed it. And it's not, I'm thankful that I obeyed it. But God's going to be thanked that they obeyed it. You know who's leading, guiding, directing all things? God is leading, guiding, and directing all things. Paul's writing this letter to a church at Rome. It would be like a man that we know, David Grindstaff, writing a letter to this church. And he doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, I am glad that you all have believed, that you have endured. Paul doesn't say that. But he says, I'm thankful to God. God brought these people in. The Bible says also, the form of doctrine which was delivered. So God took the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and delivered it to them. We're in a, we're in a day today that there's a whole lot delivered. We all know what that means. You get an email, you get a text, your package has been delivered. You go home, it's either in the mailbox, it's on the porch. You're looking for what was delivered to you. What was addressed and what was delivered to you individually. That's the way God done His Word. God brought His Word to where we live, to where we were, and He addressed it to me. And there God called, there God drew, there God convinced, and yeah, I obeyed and you obeyed, but did you not obey because God convinced you of the truth by the Spirit and the Word of God? That's why we obey. That's why we believed. Because of the working of the power of God in our life. So who's thanked? God is. Now what are we thanking God for? Well, we were the servants of sin. Now he's not saying I'm thankful I was a servant to sin, but that he was. That it's in the past that he is no longer, that the church at Rome are no longer servants to sin. They're no longer continually yielding themselves. But the gospel came to where they were. They believed and obeyed the gospel and they were made to be new creatures. No longer did their life continually yield to sin. God be thanked, you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we get a picture of this, this very thing. All of this is familiar. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, 
even as others. So there we were. We were servants to sin. And as the flesh desire, as we wanted, we partook. We were in disobedience and we walked according to the course, the unbroken age, the perpetuity. Ain't it something that from Adam, man has been sinful and rebellious towards God and that has never changed. That has been perpetual and unbroken from Adam even to today. That man is rebellious and sinful towards God. you know what that is? That's just the course of this world. And that's according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in. Now see, the church ain't the only one with a spirit within them. And I said a spirit. The church is the only one with the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost in them. But the lost, they've got a spirit as well. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh, that leadeth them that are in disobedience. So here's the picture. You've got a man here that's being led by the devil. The devil is ruling over him. The spirit is working in him, leading him. And he's dead in trespasses and sins. And that word, I think that gets confused in our mind a whole lot. It's not that we're dead. We're alive. He's talking to people that were alive the whole time here. But being dead in sins, I'm a servant to sin and I can't do anything to improve that. I'm helpless and I'm hopeless just like the dead man in a coffin. He cannot get out of the coffin and he's not going to get out of the grave. He's dead. There's man in sin. He's in sin He's a servant to the devil and he's hopeless and helpless there. He's not going to get up. The dead man is not going to get up. Man is not either. What hope does man have there? None on his own. None. But God, who is rich in mercy. So that's in Ephesians 2. There was an intervention made. God came by a dead man and raised him up. God came by Lazarus and raised him up. Lazarus made no move towards God. Lazarus didn't climb a tree to see Jesus. Lazarus wasn't making great effort. Lazarus was dead in sin and God passed by his way. There we were dead in sins, and God passed by our way. And it's by the grace and the mercy and the salvation of God that redeems us. So God took people that were servants to sin, servants to the devil, servants to ungodliness. He raises them out of the deadness, casts the devil out of the inward man, raises a new creature in Christ Jesus, places the Holy Ghost in them, and now, inwardly now, they're not led by the devil. They're not dead in trespasses and sins. They've been resurrected. And the prince of the power of the air is no longer ruling 
But now the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God is ruling. Would you not imagine that there would be a new life there? That on the job, there's going to be a new person there. That at the house, there's going to be a new person at the house. That attitudes, that thoughts, that opinions, that things are going to be different. You better believe they're going to be different. You were the servants of sin, but God delivered the gospel to them and they were made new creatures. So verse 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe we got a good picture of this. So man was a servant to sin, but now he's a servant to righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21. Art thou called, being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Now he's dealing with something, fleshly speaking, that maybe we don't have today. But if you're a servant... If you're owned by somebody, a slave, and you get saved, don't worry about that. Paul says that does not change your standing with God in the least bit. If you're called being a servant, you're the Lord's free man. But those that are free, that are called, that don't make them any better either. The salvation to the servant, to the slave, to the free man, to the rich man to the poor man, to the king, to the fisherman, all receive the same thing. There's not one above another, not one greater than another. But spiritually speaking now, you've got a man that's in bondage, and he's the Lord's free man now. You've got a man that's free, and he's the Lord's bondman now. Well, spiritually speaking, we can see that in everyone that's saved. That inwardly, There was a man dead and captive and bound and the servant of sin. And this outward man who's corrupt and sinful was free to do as he pleased. He could do as he wanted, as he saw fit, and was not bothered by that. But after salvation, he that was in bondage was set free from sin and resurrected a son of God. And the outward man that was once free to sin... He has now made bondage to that man that's on the inside. Remember, greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. So that those that were made free from sin, they became servants to righteousness. It wasn't just that now they were restrained from sinning like they once were, but now inwardly in the heart of those that are born again, they've got a desire to be pleasing unto God to honor the one that saved them from their sin. Brought about by the work of salvation. They were free to sin. They're no longer free to sin. They've been liberated from the bondage of sin. Remember, man was hopeless there. Thank God the church is not hopeless today. But in Christ Jesus, we're overcomers. You became... The servants of righteousness. So in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, 
Who hath, this is verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, so seized, taken by force, that God took those that were in darkness under the servant servitude of Satan and He seized them out of the devil's rule and the devil's kingdom and the devil's authority and He translated them into the kingdom of the Son of God, the kingdom of light. The work of the Lord Jesus to not just save the soul inwardly, but He's saving the life outwardly from the destruction of sin as well. Making new creatures by the power of God. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. So here is the beseeching nature of the Word of God unto those that are saved. Now you know how the law was? The law said, Thou shalt not, or you'll die. The, the law said, You shall do this, or you'll die. There, there was no beseeching. It was, as it's called, commandments. It was laid out what to do, what not to do, and if we missed the mark set by the commandments of God, we were guilty and we were going to die. That was the law. In the New Testament, I think, I think you could all quote Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. And if you couldn't, I could start it and you could quote it. But you see, beseech. He's not given a commandment. He's not given a commandment here. Saying, you do better or you're going to be in trouble. But He beseeches the inward man because now, in them that are saved, there's a desire inwardly to please God. There is. If there's no desire inwardly to please God, you can guarantee it, those people are lost and undone. But in them that are saved, as you have yielded in the past your members, servants, to uncleanness, to iniquity, unto iniquity. So as in the past, when you were lost, you yielded to sin, to iniquity, you done as you pleased, and if you felt like it, if you thought it was good, if you thought it would bring joy, you yielded yourself to that. Well, just like you did that, He's beseeching, yield your members, servants to righteousness. Just like you were a servant to sin before, now may God help us, strengthen us, that we might be a servant to God now. God's came, He's called us, He's justified us, He's made new creatures out of us, give us kingly authority, let us exercise that authority to bring the outward man into subjection to the inward and yield this man to be a servant unto God. Not to yield ourselves as servants 
to Satan any longer, but to yield ourselves towards God. In 2 Corinthians now, now the battle, the warfare, the struggle, it's there. It's always going to be there as long as we're in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Now Paul had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was buffeting him. This was a trouble to him. And he's beseeching the Lord to remove it. And he prays thrice, three times, that the Lord would remove this thorn in the flesh. And God says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, the weaker you are, the greater glory that I receive. I'm going to give you grace to overcome this that you couldn't overcome otherwise. And I'm going to get glory for that. Because it's going to be known, Paul, that you couldn't do this on your own. But that it's me through you that's doing it. Well there, the grace of God being sufficient, the church has as it needs to be yielded unto God. May God help us to war, to fight. And we'll look at the war in chapter 7 a little closer. But the call here, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. Boy, there's the infirmity, ain't it? This man is our trouble. This man is our affliction. If it wasn't for this man, I wouldn't have to be encouraged to obey God. Because the inward man's perfect. Because he's made perfect and cannot sin. Without this outward man, we could all obey God with no problem. But our flesh causes infirmity, weakness, sickness. Our flesh wants to go back. Our flesh looks back towards Egypt. It looks back towards Sodom. Our flesh desires to rebel and go back to sin. Our flesh would desire to fulfill its desires and rebel against God. And so because we have the flesh that we fight and war against day by day, because the devil is in the carnal mind working day by day, telling us this will be okay, and this is alright, and you can enjoy that. Because of that, Paul says, God says through the Spirit in the Word of God, fight against that and don't yield yourself to sin. Because listen, I tell you this, this is a, a deep verse that I've read over I don't know how many times. But listen to what he says. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Only saved people can appreciate that. But he says you were the servant of sin... You have experience in your life. Before you were saved, you know what it was like to be a servant to sin. You know what it was like to please yourself. So here's the question. What fruit do you have from that lifestyle? 
From the time that you served sin, what good did that produce for you? Did it produce joy? Did it fulfill your life? Was it what you thought it was going to be ever? Was it ever what you thought it was going to be? No, this is what he says here. Whereof ye are now ashamed. You know what I've got? Because of sin, I've got a lot of things that I'm ashamed of. Don't you? He prophesied of this in Ezekiel. He's speaking, I believe it's 36. He's talking about the salvation, the inward change, and the new life that God's going to bring in Jesus Christ. And he says these words, You shall loathe yourselves in the day. You know why that is? It's looking back on our life of servitude to sin and we're ashamed and we despise the way that we were. Now that's not, that's not just for one or two people. I believe that's, that fits everybody that God's changed. Regret, despising all that we did in sin and ashamed of that. Well now with that knowledge... You know what sin produces. All sin ever produced was death. That's it. Sin and our life of servitude to it resulted in us being at a place that we were guilty before God and that we were in danger of eternal fire from His wrath. That is where sin got us. Sin never fulfilled... It only left a desire for more. Sin never brought happiness. It brought pleasure for a season. But the season soon ended and we were left in need of some more. Sin fulfills for a moment and afterward we're empty. You know that about sin. You've experienced it. So why continue to yield to sin? You know what it's going to produce. You know what it done for you before. You know that everything you did in sin you're ashamed of. Why yield any further to sin and to rebellion towards God? But yield yourself. Yield yourself unto God for His glory, for His honor, and for His praise. So he says here, listen now. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When we were servants to sin and the devil, we were free from righteousness. There was no need for me to do the right thing. I had no, absolutely no desire to pleasing God and doing what God thought. Now, I'll tell you what I did do. Some people might argue and say, well, I went to church. But why did you go to church? 
Why did you do the right thing? It wasn't from an inward desire to please God, but it was so mom and daddy would approve of us. It was so people in the community would think well of us. It was so brother and sister wouldn't judge us. It was so so so-and-so wouldn't look down on us or so-and-so wouldn't call us. It was not an inward desire to please God. We were free from that when we were servants to sin. But we do what we because that's what we wanted and that's what brought us joy. We were free from righteousness. But those that are resurrected, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So look at the change that God wrought in us. That God took sinners... God took folks that were dead. God took folks that were rebellious and had no desire nor thought as to what God would want and what would please God. He plucked them out of that state. He gave them a new mind and a new heart and a new life. And now those that are saved, whereas their thought previous was what pleased me. Now inwardly they desire to please God. I don't know if I can get that across as drastic a change as that is in a man's life, in a woman's life. That God changes their desire towards sin unto a desire towards God. But that's the work that He's speaking of right here. When my desire was towards sin, even though I'd show up here, I could miss Sunday night. didn't bother me a lick. But you know, and I I swear to you, this is the God's truth. There was a Wednesday night. We had a gum at work. We had a a bridge hit. And it looked like I wasn't going to get away. And at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I am worried, slapped to death. And I find a place to pray and say, God, would you make me a way to get there? That was not there before. Now before, I could have worked. But now I'm not worried about pleasing the boss man or padding the bank account. Inwardly now, there's a desire to please God. That didn't grow on me. God put that there. That's in those that are saved. They're not servants to sin any longer, but now being made free from sin and serve, you become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. The result of the life before was death, guilt, destruction, and judgment. But in those that are servants to God now, now they're bringing forth fruit unto holiness. And listen, not holding the door for old people, That's foolishness. Lost people do that. If what you're thinking is a work of holiness and a work of the Spirit, if the lost man can do it, it's not a work of the Spirit. Should I hold the door for old people? I should. Should I help them across the street? Sure. Should I carry their groceries? It'd be nice if they wanted me to. Is that a work of the Spirit? Absolutely not! 
If the lost man can do it, it's not of the Spirit. That's lies. Lies. People think they're serving God. And it's so far from serving God. So far from the truth. I tell you the work of the Spirit of God is the thundering inside the heart of a man that brings a song out of glory under the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the earthquake in the heart of a man that brings out a testimony that honors the Lord Jesus. It's God moving in a man that would move me to speak to somebody that's lost and undone. It's God stirring in my heart as I look into the Word of God and I can share that with you. That's a work of the Spirit. That's a work of holiness. That's what's in those that are saved. I don't know what people are going to do. We ought to give money to the poor. We ought to hold the door open for old people. Well, friends, there's lost people that care not one thing for the church or the gospel in our world today that give more money to the poor than you're ever going to earn. That ain't the work that God's speaking about in His Word. I tell you, people's got in their mind a way of serving God, a way of pleasing God that is totally off base of the Scripture. It's not true. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. You know what the end of salvation is? It's not death. The mortal man's going to die. But we're not focused on the mortal man. The salvation of the Lord Jesus is not for the mortal man. The mortal man's the trouble, remember? It's the inward man. The eternal part that's from God. We've said this before, but we're going to say it one more time. When God created man, He formed the body out of dust. There was the body from the earth with mind, eyes, lungs, heart, legs, stomach, intestines. There was the body that God formed out of the dust. It was there. But the body was dead. There was no life in the body. There was a part from the earth, but it was dead. And God came and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became then a living soul. So do you see that? There is a part formed from dust. You know what it's going to do? They're going to plant it on a hill somewhere like this one over here, and this body's going back to dust. It'll push up daisies. It'll fertilize the earth. It's going to decay and go away. But the inward man, the soul that God breathed in, that's not going back to dust. The body came from dust. It's going back where it came. The soul came from God. you know where it's going? Back where it came. The soul shall return to God who gave it. The soul's what we ought to be concerned about because it lives on. And it's the soul that's going to be cast into hell. The Lord Jesus came to save the soul. And the end of the salvation of the Lord Jesus is eternal life. I tell you what, 
when I die, if it's tomorrow, if it's tonight, if it's 50 years from now, you ain't going to get you a sheet of paper and say, let's, let's count up and see whether old Joseph done enough to make it to heaven or not. Let's count up his works. Let's see how much good he's done. And let's try to figure out whether he done enough good, whether he missed a standard to make it or not. I tell you what I got, and I got it one night, and I got it years ago. I got a salvation that's going to take me from that spot unto eternal life in glory with God. And if the church excommunicates and puts John out on the Isle of Patmos, or if they take Paul out of prison and they chop his head off before the whole congregation... It don't change anything. Our salvation is secured in the Lord Jesus Christ and it does not fade. It does not tarnish. The thief stole it. I may go home and every gun I have be gone. That's a treasure that thieves can break in and steal. I ain't going to lay down at night and wonder, did the devil sneak in and take that? That's silly to think, ain't it? He can't take it. We're secure. And I promise, those that are saved, the end is everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. To those that remain servants to sin, there's only one thing that they can reap. Only one. And it's death. Not death of the body. Death of the body, not important. Negligible. It's the death of the soul that God speaks of. And when God told Adam, in the day you eat of this fruit, ye shall surely die. Adam ate that fruit. Did he die that day? In the flesh, no, he didn't. But he was dead towards God. He was talking about a death other than the death of the natural body. Boy, the wages of sin is going to produce eternal death and destruction for the whole world. And if the world today joins hand in hand and they say, God, we are not going to obey You. I am not going to submit to Your Word. We're joining hand in hand and we're going to go to war against the truth. They're going to reap death for that. Though the hand join in hand, the unrighteous shall not go unpunished. God will bring swift destruction upon all those that will not submit to the truth. But the gift of God, it's a, it's a gift. Now, this past Friday, was my payday. In the state of North Carolina, they put a check in my checking account. Was that a gift? That wasn't a gift. I guess it's a bad example. I took one week of vacation. But there was 80 hours of my time that was given in order for me to receive that. That was payment for something I've done. Now if going to heaven, if eternal life 
is going to be a result of something you did. Is it a gift? But now when I say a gift, what does that mean? I've paid for this. I've purchased it with my money, with my labor, and I'm giving this to you. This is for you to have. It's going to belong to you. You don't have to pay me nothing for this. You don't have to go pay the store. I've paid for it. It's a gift. It's yours. That's what God says Jesus Christ was. A gift. Well now, listen. I've got to do this to be accepted and to be saved. And if I don't do this, then I might not make it. And if I don't hold this standard up, and if I don't act in this way, and if I don't do just like this, I'm not going to be accepted. Who lied to you? This is what the Lord says of His... And friends, I'm going to tell you something. There's nobody that knows what salvation is better than the Lord. And the Lord says, the gift of God, that freely given, He bought it, He paid for it, and He's giving it out. The gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can't leave the Lord out. You can't leave the Spirit out. You can't leave God the Father out. They're all working together to produce eternal for those that He gives the gift to. So, anything on your heart you'd like to say? Anything you'd like to add?